Welcome back. It's Debbie Cook. I'm the past radio host of the D&B Garden Show, and I am a gardener and arborist, and I'm back with the June edition of the D&B Supply Lawn and Garden Podcast. So this month, I am happy and pleased to have Dr. Rick, Rich Guggenheim as my guest. We are going to be talking a little bit about how we can keep our plants healthy during this coming up hot weather. Uh, we know that it's June. We know that knocking on our door is the really hot weather. Um, Rich Guggenheim has his doctorate in plant pathology, so he's well aware of how we can keep our plants a little bit healthier. When I first met Rich, I was, um, I was doing the D&B Garden Show. He was my guest and was at the time the extension educator in Canyon County. Um, he's a past professor at the College of Western Idaho. He has worked in the landscape and horticulture department at Disney World, doing all kinds of cool, fun things down in Florida. Um, so, Rich, welcome, and thank you for being my guest today, because I know you've got lots of really good information. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and you've always got lots of great information. And here comes the hot weather. So, um, our time is short, and we've got lots of information to share. So let's start out by talking a little bit about how you think, what's the first thing people should think about when they're talking about getting your plants ready for hot weather, which means having a good, healthy plant? Uh, I'll tell you, Debbie, my personal experience, and I'm sure there's science to back it up, also is watering. You want to keep a healthy landscape, it goes back to watering properly, because most of the problems that I see are because people are either A, overwatering, or B, underwatering, although B is a lot less likely than A, I see. Most, most of us don't realize that watering properly can help reduce disease and insect pests and foster healthy landscapes and healthy plants. And also, it's good for the soil. Right. There's only one way you're going to get a healthy plant. That's to have healthy roots. To get healthy roots, you have to have a healthy soil. I guess understanding and knowing what kind of soil you have in your garden or in your landscape is a pretty important, it's a pretty important first step. It is an important first step, but I think a problem with that is a lot of people that are landscapers or gardeners know their plant material, but they're afraid to dig in and learn about soil health and how right. to manage the soil and even understand the basics of soil. So there's a really fun, I mean, you can certainly get a soil test and I recommend it highly to anybody that's gardening is to get a good lab soil test done and understand what's in your landscape, what elements are there, what your pH is, all of, you know, all of the things that you should understand about your soil. But a quick, easy thing that you can do at home, it's fun to do with your kids. It's fun to do with your grandkids. And it's just interesting to do in general. And that is the good old mason jar soil test. Yep. Shake, rattle, and roll. Shake, rattle, and roll. How would they go about doing that, Rich? Well, it's really easy. You want, when you're doing a soil test and you're going to do this, is to go out and get a representative sample from your yard. So what I mean by that is don't just go dig a shovel full of soil from one spot in the yard and say that's going to be what you're going to use to test. You want to get smaller samples. <clears throat> so use a small trowel. And I put it into a bucket and mix it up so I have a nice sample. And then I put Probably, um, if you have a mason jar, I fill it probably anywhere from a quarter to a third of the way up with the soil. And then I'm going to just fill the rest of it up with water. I'm going to put the cap on it, put the lid on it, and then you just shake it up. 
and you shake it and shake it and shake it. And that's what it's really fun with the kids because each of the kids can do their own soil jar and have fun with it. And it's fun to do outside and spend time with the family. And then what you'll do is you'll set it on. I put it on a counter or on the windowsill and I let it sit for 24 hours. So after that, most of the soil is going to settle in place. And you're going to notice that particle density is what we call it, is going to be the science behind it. So all of the heavier particles are going to settle out first, and that's going to be your sand. And so you're going to have a sand layer. At the very bottom of of the jar, right? At the very bottom of the jar. That's going to be the first layer. And then you're going to see some silt on top of that because that's the next layer. And then on top of that, the very fine stuff you're going to see at the very top is going to be clay. And we tend to either have, if you live down here along the Boise River, pretty sandy soil. But if you live up on the bench or outside the lying, outlying areas of the Treasure Valley, you're probably going to have some pretty heavy clay. And so you'll let that sit and that's going to be what you'll see. And the water will clear up and you'll just see the three layers. And then that's going to tell you if you have a heavy clay soil or a heavy or a lot of sand soil. And sand or clay, depending on what your soil composition is, is really going to determine how you water, how you fertilize, and how you care for your landscape. And that is the perfect thing. That's the perfect answer, I guess, to how you're going to begin to water, is understanding um, how your soil is going to move water. With soil or with clay being the lightest, it takes a long time to move water through um, clay. Um, It holds it for a long time. It heats up slowly, and it's very easy to overwater in a clay soil. Yep. I tell people it's kind of like the particles look like a stack of playing cards. So if those cards are just stacked on top of each other, you're not going to get that water to move through the pore space, through and in between the cards and saturate all of the soil particles. Whereas sand, if you put that and think of that as like a jar of marbles and you pour water in there, it's going to move through really quickly. Right. So understanding the soil texture is what that is called is really critical in helping you understand how to properly manage your landscape from a water perspective. And water is really going to become even, an even more important issue for this area as we grow. But more importantly, if you plant plants in an area that you know you have some plants that like it dry and some plants that like it wet, but you know, you understand your soil. That's the other thing that's really important is, you know, that understanding if you've got turf and your grass likes it wet, but you've got some xeric landscape plants in the border around it, you need to understand you're probably going to have to set up different irrigation zones also. So you're not overwatering the plants or underwatering the lawn. Right. It's fun to kind of um, think of planting in different zones. Put all your xeric plants in one area so you can really either cap off those sprinkler heads or not even, you know, change the the timing in those areas. And it's not that it's impossible to have English type gardens in this area. It's just recognizing the fact that, boy, their requirements are a lot different than your xeric landscape. And you can't mix them up and have healthy plants. You know, one's one's going to win out over the other one. Yep. And if you're watering, a lot of people I see with tree problems are because the tree roots don't just grow right underneath the tree. They're growing four to five times the height of the tree. But if you spread that tree out, that's how far they're growing. So the width of the root spread is four to five times the height of the tree. So your tree roots are under the lawn, as you know, if you've ever tried to dig up your lawn. So you're watering for the lawn, which needs more water 
than your tree. So your trees are probably going to be unhappy, unhappy. The other thing to consider is as your landscape matures and you start developing different shade patterns and different microclimates within your own landscape, maybe you have the north side of the house is going to be cooler than the south side of the yard or the areas where there's shade, you're going to have to have those zones so that you can go in and readjust how you're irrigating as your landscape matures. And recognizing that your your irrigation needs are going to change from, you know, April and May when we turn on our sprinklers through, you know, we'll increase the watering time through the summer and then decrease it again as we head into the fall. Um, That's really important. A lot of people don't realize that they set their yard up for success or failure in the way they turn on their irrigation system. If your irrigation system comes on in the middle of April and you're watering for 20 minutes every day, you're watering too much. So you're going to have shallow rooted turf and shallow rooted plants. And so when the heat comes on, those root systems aren't established and they're not able to access the water that's deeper in the soil profile. So you want to start out in the cool season and you want to water probably about a half an inch a week. And then as it warms up into June and July, increase that watering regimen. And then when it starts to cool off later in September and October, decrease it. So you're going to have a bell curve of irrigation on your system. So what you did in April and May is going to determine how drought tolerant your landscape is going to be in June and July. Right. So it's still, they still have time this month to um, increase the depth of the rooting. So we've talked a little bit about how quickly sand can drain um, and it's going to need more irrigation than a clay soil will. Um, And we say water deeply and infrequently so that Mm -hmm. all of those soil pores can reoxygenate and fill up with oxygen because the roots need oxygen as well. But there's really, I think there's only one way really to know what the heck's going on. And that is to look and see what is happening at about a, you know, I'm going to say six to 10 inches down in your soil and take a shovel full out and take a look and see what exactly is going on after you've irrigated. Wait, Wait about 24 hours, let it percolate through and take a look. And that's the thing that a lot of people are afraid of is they just don't know what to look for. And so you're going to grab that and you're going to dig out a spot in your yard and look, take the shovel, dig down, dig in and see, is there still a lot of water down there or is the soil dry? And if it's still, and a lot of times what people are afraid of is they see the surface of the soil dry out. And so they think they have to irrigate, but they don't realize with clay being super slow to drain, that can still be waterlogged 12 inches down. Exactly. And that's where the problem comes in, I think, because because it is moist or wet down below. It's not draining very quickly. So even though you might only be watering for 10 minutes or so, um, as it continues to percolate through, it's going to back up on you and then you'll have trouble with your plants. Yep. And you know, the thing that's really helpful is the Canyon County Master Gardener Program, and you can call your extension agent, your extension office up, And Master Gardeners and Extension will offer a program called LISA. LISA stands for Lawn Irrigation System Audit. And they'll come out and they'll they'll audit it and tell you how to set up your sprinkler system so that you're not over or under watering based on the plant material and the soil profile that you have. Oh, that's a really, um, that's a very good piece of information for people to know. 
Yep. So. It's it's terrific because it can really help take the guesswork out of what, how to water your lawn and how to water your landscape. Yeah, I guess that that's a re- thanks, Rich. That's a really great piece of advice. One of the other things that I'd kind of like to talk about today, and that is um, there's a lot of people that are moving further and further away out into the foothills, out towards, you know, the um, the wildlands. And there's actually <laughs> something that's referred to as wooey, which is the wildland urban interface and it's basically where we butt up to um the wildlands and that's where a lot of the problem comes in with fire yes the fire and not only in the landscape debbie i was i i I really think people need to be understanding of the way we landscape can also impact fires on the wildland itself and so we need to be conscientious of how we're landscaping and quite frankly and bluntly, as you know, I, I don't mince words a lot. <laughs> the European style of gardening with your Kentucky bluegrass and your petunias isn't going to cut it out there. It uses a lot of water and our landscapes that we do out there are a fire hazard. And that plant material can escape and become invasive in the wild. Right. So we need to really be conscientious a of fire-wise landscaping. And you can go to the Idaho Botanic Garden and see a great example of some of that, some of this firewise landscaping, and also including the native scapes, native plantscapes. That's really going to help mitigate our potential for introducing invasives or introducing things that are harmful and can increase the risk of fire in our yards and in our in our communities. And it will also use um, less water in our landscapes, they're more able to withstand the hot drought that, you know, we can experience um, in our area. So it's always a great idea to look at natives. Um, they're, they're really, there's so many natives that are so gorgeous. And I know that people think uh, when they think of zero scaping, they think of zero scaping, like rocks and nothing else. But um, and that's not that's not the way to landscape because no. that's environmentally detrimental also. Also, but it's dry, Ziri, X-E-R-I, dry landscaping. Yep. So it's not completely without water, although it can be. Um, but it's, it's a lovely landscape. So I encourage you to look around. There's several drought or firewise landscapes that you can go look at. Drought tolerant gardens, you know, that you can go out and take a look at. Um, but I encourage you, if you live in an outlying area near um, near a wildland, go to firewise.org. And um, I think it's .org. Maybe it's .com. I can't remember. If you want some great ideas and you like, if you're the type that likes to look through Sunset Magazines, there's a book called New Naturalism. And it just was actually published not too long ago by Kelly Norris. And he's out of Iowa at the Botanic Gardens in Iowa. That that is just some phenomenal research that he has done and some demonstrations that he has set up. Kelly Norris, New Naturalism, and he's got tons and tons and tons of pictures of the zero naturescape that is really the new wave. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, this would be awesome for people who are moving to uh, understand some of the great reasons that we want to try this type of landscape. A, uh, it's firewise. B, it protects the pollinators. C, you're using natural native plants in the landscape. So, you know, 
those are the things that are really important to the landscape right now. Plus, you're going to reduce your need for pesticides. You're going to reduce your need for maintenance. And so those are some great things to talk about when you're looking at what are ways to prepare your lawn for the summer. What are some firewise? What are some natural things that I can do in my landscape to be more ecologically friendly? So um, outside of the landscape and narrowing our focus down more to vegetable gardens for a second before we wind this up, what are some things that people might be able to do in their garden to make them a little more able to withstand um, this summer heat? Honestly, shade is a really important piece of it. You can get some things that a shade cloth, and that is going to be something that's going to cool the temperature down underneath the plants. And you can help extend your your season on some of those cool season plants, especially one or two weeks. And a lot of people notice when it gets really hot, your tomatoes, they quit producing fruit. So, you know, if you can provide your plants with just a little bit of shade by throwing some shade cloth over them, that's one way. Mm-hmm. And of course, don't forget, this is not the time of year to be fertilizing I see a lot of people think, oh, it's warm. I'm going to go out and fertilize. No, it's not. That's going to cause other problems. And so don't fertilize. The time to fertilize should have been earlier in the spring. And over-fertilization is a big problem. And then, of course, I just go back again to what how this whole thing started. Proper irrigation management, watering appropriately. Right. And I think all those things combined... Um you know, are the most helpful things that you can do. So, you know, really, I guess the takeaway um, the, is know your soil, know how your soil moves that your water. And you're only going to be able to do that by taking a look. Um, some people will say, put out a tuna fish can, water your lawn, and then measure how much water you have in that tuna fish can. And that's what you're going to end up with is how much water you have in the tuna fish can. It's not going to tell you how your soil is moving that water. And And that's critical to know because if your water is, if you're putting on an inch and a half of water on the lawn, you don't know if it's just pooling on top of the lawn and not moving through the soil, or you don't know if it's going through the entire rooting zone within 24 hours. You have to dig deeper. And that's where knowing your soil texture, knowing what type of soil you have is going to be helpful. Mm And so by watering deeply and infrequently and will encourage your roots to be deep. And so if the top inch or so of your soil dries out, it won't matter because your roots are going to be deeper where it's cool and moist. Um, So don't be fooled by the top inch or so of your soil because it will dry out. It's going to be 100 degrees and it'll dry out no matter what. And if your water has only been going a few inches deep, that's where your roots are going to be and you're going to be forced to water because that's where your roots will be. So deeply and infrequently will encourage that root system to go down where it's nice and cool. I hope that is helpful. Yeah, I hope it helps. And I hope people understand that it's also important to ramp up your watering system in the summer and then taper it off as it cools down again. Right, right. So soil and water, folks, and that'll help you keep your plants healthy through this heat that's going to be coming up. Um, And Rich, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming in and sharing your knowledge with us. Um, You've always got a load of good information. So thank you so much. You're welcome. We'll do this again. Okay. And thank you for listening. And I will be back next month with the July D&B podcast for the Lawn Garden. So thanks so much and have a great June.